You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Okay, if you have not heard about Cash App, you're going to love me. You want more from all these free apps used for just free and fast money transfers, right? Well, I've got the hookup for you. The Cash App. The Cash App card is a free Visa debit card that lets you use your Cash App balance to pay online and in stores. It's also the only way to get Boost. Now, let me tell you about Boost because it's exclusive to Cash App. Boosts are reusable instant discounts that work at places you actually go to, everywhere from Starbucks to Walmart to even the PlayStation Network store. You can do so much more than buy and save money with this. You can even purchase shares of stock in companies you love by investing as little as $1. Banking is also made easy. With Cash App, you can directly deposit paychecks, tax returns, and more to your Cash App balance using the unique account and routing numbers. And if you don't think things can get any cooler, it does by allowing you to buy and sell Bitcoin, the money of the future. Selling and receiving money on Cash App is as easy as entering a phone number, using another user's name, or simply scanning a QR code. Hit the special link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. That is, use that link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. So go on, go ahead and hit that link in the show notes and get set up with Cash App today. Whether you're looking for a comedic retelling of the history of the modern libertarian movement or a dark comedy about the seedy world of American politics, my books, Stay Away from the Libertarians, as well as How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship, have been entertaining thousands of readers throughout the world since 2018. Whether you're looking for the next great book on your reading list or considering a funny and captivating book for the politico or history nut in your life, you can grab a copy of either Stay Away from the Libertarians or How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship today on either Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. Amazon links for the print and ebook editions of both books are available in the show notes. yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. I reopened my first Bitcoin wallet in almost two years and I went ahead and had, well, no, like I, I cashed out in 2018. So I needed to kind of reset my wallet because I didn't remember anything, but I remember how long the the blockchain ID, um, the blockchain ID, like user password thing is like the 32 part chain code. Oh. And I was like, oh, I got to write this down. So now I've got it in like a part of my house where I hopefully will remember that's where it is. Jeez. We had, uh, I had this conversation with my little brother the other day about how it works and why it works. And uh, we, uh, we, uh, we have a, a guest that interviews can be coming out in a couple of weeks. So we talked to, uh, Corey Klipkin of swanbitcoin.com, mm-hmm. which is essentially it's you set it up with your uh, so your standard bank account, like so it'll withdraw X amount of money every week or month or however you want to set it up. It's just I'm I'm treating it like a long term savings account, I'm just kind of throwing it in there. Yeah, so while, then, while, while we're at it, actually, this is a this is where I want to actually ask you some questions. So we're going to kind of start the show here, ladies and gentlemen. Go for it. Nick awesome. and Liz. Liz and Nick. Nick and Liz. It's great to have you both on here. 
we were talking about uh, why technology hates us and somehow Bitcoin came up. I, I was just telling them, folks, I just I, so I cashed out of all my crypto several years ago. I actually for the stuff I didn't cash out, I donated like a few hundred dollars to um, a candidate, Eric Brakey out in the state of Maine, who was actually accepting crypto donations for his Senate race at the time. So I was like, here, I'll cash out what I can here and the stuff that's worthless. I'll go ahead and just donate to him. But uh, what, what, what did you guys just set up if, if it's not too personal? No, no, not at all. I, and the reason we started, we had had the head Corey on because um, as parents and like non necessarily like monetary activist people, we were trying to figure out what does Bitcoin mean to anybody. Uh, and so the short answer that we got was it's basically just a long-term savings plan. You know, eventually if everything goes the way the Austrians predict, it's going to be, you know, money someday, mm-hmm. at which point having it will be better than not. If not, then, I mean, the value has seemed to be at least not bottoming out any in the past couple of years. It has seemed to go up steadily just, you know, in fits and spurts, I guess. So we set up a, a an account with Swan Bitcoin, which is a place that actually just takes it out of your like checking account. Like you can is, is it like Coinbase? Is it an exchange or is it like a wallet? Um, you can do it one of two ways. They have they can transfer it to a wallet that they hold, or they can transfer it, I believe, to your actual wallet if you set that up too. Uh, for the time being, I just have it set up to have a wallet with them. Uh, getting setting the bank account up was more was annoying enough. So, but uh, essentially, they just take. I have it set up for us to take out ten bucks a week to just throw in the account. Um, one of the things that I'm looking forward to it is that since it it's a weekly thing and essentially is buying me you know ten bucks worth of Bitcoin every week. If the market fluctuates and goes up and down, I don't have to be paying attention to like react to that. It's You're just, just kind of dollar cost averaging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, whatever the market does on whole, you know, it's going to move in that general direction. So, Liz, how do you feel about your husband investing in funny money? Um, no, I'm really <laughs> actually excited about, you know, the Bitcoin thing because I, I think of it as a hedge. You know, if the dollar does really take a dive, which seems like it's going to eventually, um, and uh, Bitcoin becomes more viable than it it's good to kind of have your foot in the door. So yeah, I, I messed up with Bitcoin bigly because I started jumping in, not really understanding what it was in 2018. I mean, I always knew what it was. I knew it was this decentralized, uh, you know, digital currency that had a limit to it. So I knew that and I knew it could be breaking down into like various amounts. Unlike what we have with physical assets where it's hard to break down physical gold as in commodity of exchanging but i thought i treated it like stocks and that's what a lot of people did they thought it was more of an asset but what they failed to understand was it was a currency it is a currency and then when you learn about everything else what i was doing was i was like oh i'm gonna get rich so i'm buying on like the biggest inflated rate imaginable because you had all these hedge funders buying loads and loads of bitcoin and ethereum and eventually i'm like well i'm broke and i don't make money so i should probably cash out and now since i'm doing better now i'm you know i've got i've got my full-time job i've got some multiple streams of income coming in so i'm investing i'm saving but i have the cash app Mm -hmm. and you can buy fractional shares of stocks 
and Bitcoin. And I know some some of the more crypto guys, they don't like that because it's not like a real wallet and Cash App can actually stop you if, from doing certain things if you're Bitcoin, if they think you're doing something shifty. Hmm. I'm just keeping it there. Like what both of you said as a hedge, because the only thing I like about Bitcoin and when I was exchanging crypto with friends and stuff to buy certain things, I was mainly using like Litecoin, Ethereum or Dash. The only thing I like about Bitcoin is that it's a store of value. So like, like what you both said, it's a hedge. I don't think that Bitcoin is ever going to hit zero. I think if anything, with the more money we print, it only makes holding even a small amount of Bitcoin the better choice. And I'm going to look at that more so than like physical gold because we live in a digital world. Well, and there's also, I mean, frankly, there's, there's actual places where people actually use it as currency because their own currency has been destroyed so badly. I think, uh, I'm not going to Venezuela anytime soon though. Well, no, 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 <laughs> but, but Warcraft but, money in there. Well, I'm, I'm not saying you have to, but, uh, one thing there's, I think it's, uh, it's one middle Eastern country. I know they use it in China to get around a lot of the money moving, money moving regulations that they have there. So, I mean, even as a, if you, you don't have a lot of faith and it, it's like, well, I mean, there still are actual current use cases where it is being used. So even if it's not ever like money here necessarily, that seems to, it seems to lend that there's always going to be some place that it is money that you can, that it'll have a value because of. Um, one of the interesting things, so I don't know if you, how much you follow, but we recently just went through the happening. And normally when that happens, there's like a huge price drop after it because it gets rid of a lot of the, uh, is that, is that like a, was that like a fork? It's, no, no, no. Out? The happening is, okay. is basically it, it, it drop it halves the amount that, uh, miners get, I guess. Be the way oh, for the people that are actually mining the Bitcoin and, and through the code to generate more of it. Yes. And generally when that happens, you see a lot of less profitable miners drop off because it just becomes less profitable when that happens. Now, interestingly enough, when that happened this time, it never really, it didn't really dip. Like maybe like a couple hundred dollars a, a coin. And a lot of that is because when this whole thing happened with uh, the Couve, I, I think it cleared out a lot of the riffraff in the market that was on edge. Those people needed to liquidate to get to, you know, the the hard currency that they needed to, go to the grocery stores with in the meantime. And so something everyone was expecting the price to drop pretty drastically and then it just didn't. And now we're kind of coasting up in the the 9,000s right now. So I, I think that just really emphasizes my point though. Like my biggest thing, I, I could have gotten into crypto when, you know, when I started working, I could have started like months and months ago. But my biggest thing was I wanted to treat it with respect and I wanted to use it and trade it intentionally. And this is why I liked Dash and Litecoin. It's because the fees were low and the transfer was fast and that, you know, there was more open involvement. Like it's like a lot of Bitcoin stuff now. I feel like a lot of it is still like in the shadows, whereas, you know, uh, organizations like the Dash organization, which, you know, owns Dash, they, they're a bit more open about it. It's a little bit more centralized, but like you could trade it like you would trade with like Venmo or Cash App or anything. I feel like I, I'm okay having more cash on hand willing to trade because at the end of the day, I can go to Subway and Walmart and they're going to take cash. If I hire someone to mow my lawn, I will pay them in cash. 
I want more adoption of it. And I feel like for a lot of the crypto market, it was, oh, we just need to go ahead and make Bitcoin only stores and Bitcoin only websites well, and stuff. And it was like, mm-hmm. well, I think we could do more with it, though. So here's in in. This is where, or where the, the, I guess the purists would say, that's a high time preference thing. And you're right. Mm-hmm. People want to trade it. The people that... I have no patience. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean, you're, I'm, trust me, I'm, I'm with you. That's why like Swan's great because I can forget that it's doing it. It's just go take the money, put it there, and when someday it'll be there. Um, but the thing is that with uh, the people that are really into Bitcoin as Bitcoin, and they'll call all that other stuff, they're shit coins. And the reason is because people are trying to rush to the end line. They want to get to having the currency as possible without actually having worked out all of the kinks necessarily. And so like there's huge uh, security issues. There's huge, you know, viability issues in the long term to get to the short term goals of, well, we want everyone to adopt this now. Okay. Well you can have everyone adopt it now. And then eventually six months from now, well, that coin's going to go away. Um, some have done better than others, like say dash. Frickin' Dogecoin is still around though. <laughs> yeah. That surprises the hell out of me, but at the same time, I'm like super impressed because originally I saw it and I'm like, oh, this just makes a joke of the whole system. Then I realized, oh, wait, it just makes a joke of all the other systems that aren't succeeding because all these things only matter as much as other people are willing to take it into consideration. And like what's funny is the Bitcoin shop in New Hampshire, um, Mm -hmm. they they stopped accepting Bitcoin. Oh, like years ago, they only take Dash now in Ethereum. So it was one of those things where it's like, see, even when you look at the currency wars, like people have to understand what they're really getting into it because Absolutely. each coin, while it is a currency, it's also got different, you know, functions to it. Like if I was going to be a long term, you know, wealth building investor into one specific cryptocurrency, I would go with Ethereum because Ethereum has the capability of developing apps and it has the smart contracts capability. I would never want to trade like Bitcoin of somebody because it takes forever and the fees are unreliable. Well, yeah. Um, You know, like I said, the, and the Bitcoin people tell you, yeah, it's because we're not there yet. We're, we're working out what this is eventually going to be. We're making the second layer stuff. I mean, the fact, the, the only reason our, our actual day-to-day money works the way it does is because of a second layer called Visa and MasterCard. Oh my like, gosh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the only reason that we have a currency that functions like that because they spent, they've spent, you know, how many years getting that system to work the way it works. And now it, it works great, you know. It's all trust, though, too. And I mean, it's. Yeah. I think crypto is like the biggest red pill for people. Like, I, 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 like it. I freak people out when I say this, but I actually have no consumer debt. That's I awesome. O- I only That's pay awesome. for things in cash. I was, I, you know, I was broke, but I wasn't going to put myself in more in more debt. So, like, I've always just really paid for things in cash. And when I got my girlfriend into crypto, when I set up her first wallet and sent her like ten bucks of Ethereum, like in 2018, and she began to learn about like the fiat money supply and everything, like she looked at herself, she's like. I got to get out of this debt. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and honestly, that's why me and Liz, like why I got, I started really getting into crypto and trying to learn more because I, I when we had Irma, I lived in a world where it's like, okay, like I got, like I can't be a shitty parent and not give her the things that she needs and deserves. Throw it on the fucking credit card. And when it's all said and done, lots and lots and piles and mountains of debt. And so I, I see all of the people that I'm really tight with 
getting into this thing and they're they're sending money at it and i'm like i mean I, at some point i expect that the currency is going to collapse so it's like well is it worthwhile for me to even get into this because you know if the currency is going to collapse i mean i might as well just ride that inflation and then just pay it off with the cheap dollars that i'm going to get when it fails so or is there a way to game the system and like put my money in bitcoin and eventually bitcoin's going to skyrocket and then i can pay off all my crappy debt with that and you know just what, what kind of game is there to play I th- yeah, I think Liz and, and I will. T- sorry, I cut you off. Well, no, and then eventually, like you know, when I started talking, it's like if you're a Bitcoin person, like they'll just say, I mean, anything. What we're expecting is not now. It's not ten years from now, probably even. You know, it's it's a, a long term play. Like they're they're the guys that are really into Bitcoin are just when this happens, and it might be a hundred years from now, we're gonna have the most stable, most reliable thing that there is. So. Think of it, if nothing else, as a long-term investment for your kid. Don't don't go trying to, like, what did JW say? He's like, if you aren't in a position to gamble on technology, don't. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I think Liz and I were talking about this when I was on your show last week. Like, there are a lot of things I like about Trump. The one thing that I criticize him for is the one thing I never hear people criticize him for. He has no problem printing money. Yeah, oh, he fucking loves that shit. Entire life, he loves printing money, and I think him and Jerome Powell have like a secret bromance that nobody's talking about. <laughs> I think I think him and Jerome Powell, chairman of the Fed, love each other. But I'm deeply concerned that you know may- maybe like two or three elections from now when. You know, Trump is obviously not there. I think he's going to win another four years. So the whoever's after Trump, I think either Democrat or Republican, we're going to see a race to see who's willing to print our way out of our national debt. And that scares the living crap out of me. I feel like we're already there, like the way they're treating this coup. Oh, they don't want to say it out loud. I'm waiting for the person that says, I'm willing to do that. And we're not going to cut any of the existing welfare state. And why not, you know, why not UBI who wants 12 Mm -hmm. grand a year? Like they're that already, really scares me. They're already talking to you. I mean, I, I get what you're, you get what you're saying. But, um, I th- someone was talking about. Didn't Trump just do a speech calling Jerome Powell like his most improved player for like wanting to play ball with Trump now on doing giving him the monetary policy he wants? I, I heard somebody talking about that on Bloomberg, and they played the clip, and I'm like, this is like some bizarro world crap right there. <laughs> he was talking about firing him a month ago. Now mm-hmm. Fauci's like moved into the White House and Jerome Powell's like his LeBron. This is creeping me out. I mean, I guess to me, none of it's surprising because he's a lifelong Democrat. It, it, none of this is new. <laughs> like he, he was he was a New York Democrat, which is basically a slightly more conservative Democrat. So, you know, all of this seems pretty on point for it. My big thing is I feel bad for the people that like buy into the hype. Now, what do I? What I? I never voted for Trump, but I'm glad he won over Hillary. So, oh, like I have. Okay, he, hear me out on this one because things are about to get weird. I've got a friend of mine named Zed. Shout out to Zed. Zed is the most conservative, Trump loving, uh, middle class Muslim dude you will ever met. One of my oldest friends in life, and he knew that Trump was going to win the day he came down the freaking escalator. And I thought he was a moron, but Mm. that's the one who I'm listening to these days. I'm like, give me your predictions, Nostradamus. And he genuinely thinks 
he, I might, I might be wrong about this. He'll, he'll angrily call me later, but I got to say it. He thinks, and I actually buy into this theory a little bit because I'm into some strange stuff. He thinks that the night of the 2016 election reality forked. Hmm. So like, if you believe in 2012, the world was supposed to end and that we may have entered a giant black hole that was beyond all comprehension of the universe and everything, and we didn't see it coming, then you believe that there are now multiple streams of reality. So technically there's one where we died, but then there's one where we lived because we went through that black hole. We don't know how that stuff works. So basically we're now continually splitting reality. So Hillary was supposed to win. It was a rigged election. Everyone, all the gamblers, everyone was like, Trump is going to lose. Hillary's going to win. What he thinks happened was that was another moment in the space-time continuum where reality forked where somehow, some way, Trump was able to win and we're living in the reality where he won. And then there's the like the, the prime earth, like where our real versions are, where it's split and Hillary won. And we're in like a Terminator Judgment Day war. We're in the J.J. You know? Abrams version, I tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's dark. <laughs> there are strobe lights. Where everything like, sucks. Everything yeah. is terrible. And it's got a guest co-director thing from the guy that uh, Zack Snyder. Like it's all it's all doomsday. We're and all living in the back. himself into a corner. <laughs> it's it's just terrible. So he's telling me this, and I'm just looking at him. I think we were sitting at Sonics, and like I'm just like, what did I just hear? And then I think about it for a few nights, and it's been probably like six months now, and I'm like, you know. I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility. Maybe now's a good time to start investing a little in Bitcoin again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, what I can say is simulation theory has been sounding really, really on point lately. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Pretty scary, frankly. So speaking of things that sounded good at one point and now we've entered like the twilight zone of all New the Star Trek? Out. Was that supposed to sound good? And then, yeah. <sighs> and then I it didn't go well. I have not seen the new Star Trek on CBS either. Good. Don't bother. I don't, I don't think it's worth it. Stay away from Picard too. They try and lure you in with it being Picard, but I don't. I don't understand how the whole universe thing is supposed to be now. Like you know, the TV shows are in one and the movies are another. But that's that's a whole other thing. Main topic. Well, I want to cover because we tackled a whole lot of stuff on your episode, and I'm going to go ahead and link to that in the show notes so people can go listen to that to understand how we got here. My question is this. We've been talking a lot about comic books. We're in the, still in the midst of the pandemic. The world yeah. is shaken. Movies are getting delayed. My question is this. Did the MCU make the comic book industry worse? Did they make it worse? Did they make it worse? I don't know that they made it worse. I think they'd had a lot of problems to begin with. Like the way it was set up just was never really going to work. I actually have a more, a more complicated take on this and that I think Disney buying the MCU definitely. Yeah. Whereas I think that if they had done it right, they had the, all the potential to make the comic book industry take off. But as opposed to doing smart things like doing crossovers with your films and putting the same characters, stylizing the art design to match what you're doing in the films and things like that, they chose to have nothing to do with each other. And I mean, it really, it just seems like they want, they just want the comic book industry to go away, like, which is stupid because that's their proving ground for the stories that will work in film. Yeah. My, my problem is, and I saw this with the first Iron Man, I, I saw it more positively then than I do now, but 
I mean, the, the films to a large degree, even though the physical print comic book industry has been on the decline, and even though people are like, digital's the future, digital sales may have increased, but they've always been drastically going down profit-wise. That's why now uh, Marvel, uh, Marvel's digital library now, you know, basically said Comixology and all these other apps, you can hold their stuff now. Well, but- for people that are listening, just to... I don't know how many of you are comic book people, but to give you a frame of reference is the comic book industry versus the film industry. The entire comic book industry, all publishers last year, made less money than any of the Marvel Cinematic Movies. Yeah, we're talking both Marvel and DC. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the entire comic book industry made less money than a single movie. <laughs> that, that's, I mean, that, that right yeah. there says it all. But the, the thing that crushed me was that before, I'll, I'll call it before Disney Marvel, when the first Iron Man came out, what that showed is that a B-rated character that no one knows or cares about can be made cool and it can inject new life into the property itself. When Robert Downey Jr. came out as Iron Man, not only did Iron Man do better, but Marvel Comics did better for a little bit. And they didn't change too much, but what we started seeing was like what you mentioned. They started really taking just the characters from the film and putting them into the comics. That was good and that was bad because one that brought back properties that we loved that maybe weren't getting a lot of love. But what that does is that really took the joy and the uniqueness from the comics and it really commercialized it in a way that not only cheapened the characters, but cheapened the stories and really Mm -hmm. killed a lot of the long-term fan trust in the properties itself. And I mean, guardians of the galaxy is probably a great double-edged sword example, because if, if Iron Man is B rated in 2008, then guardians of the galaxy are C listers, maybe even D listers in 2014. But you know, those comics, no one ever really read. They had such a small fan base of people. So when they, when the movie came out and everyone loved it, they had to change really the comics in order to really not only bring out a lot of the comic book readers that weren't into Guardians of the Galaxy, but also make enough you know welcoming space for all these new people coming in who wanted to see really the film characters in the comics. So that was a good example. Did you did you read any of those the comics themselves? Because what I will say is that I pre or post movie, uh, post movie. I did for a little bit and it was good, but like, you know, they, they rebooted it like three times in a couple of years. Hmm. Like it was always a new issue one because the series were just getting outright canceled and they thought, okay, we we're losing trust in people. Let's come out with a new issue one. So yeah. I have like three guardian issue ones that came out in like a five year span. Wow. And I'm curious, did they try and take on like the, the tone that, uh, what's his name there uh tim gunn not tim gunn james gunn um and and the only reason i even watched that movie because i could have cared less about the characters going into it because like you said c and d list characters but i'm a huge fan of james gunn as a director and like he's done amazing work but he also has a very distinct style and i was i'm curious if that crossed over into the comic books when they did it because i it's not a very comic book style the way he directs they, the they he- tried i mean they tried but they did it poorly because mm-hmm. when you try and do ga- james gunn and you're not james gunn it's going to be bad yeah. but what you also see is that you know corporate Disney Marvel tried to really put their stamp on things. So they're trying to boost up characters that are going to be in the movies a few years from now, like Captain Marvel. They put Captain Marvel in there. It's like Captain Marvel had no purpose of being in it. 
and they they put her in there. So it was like, okay, let's make a watered down James Gunnish comic book, and let's throw in all these characters that aren't Guardians, but we want people to be familiar with them for the movies. Yeah, and it got to the point where now Marvel right now is more or less really just a merchandise wing for the films instead of being its own separate thing. And when they had Kevin Feige become the, the creative chief, whatever for Marvel comic, Marvel entertainment, which now is both the studios, the films, the games and the comics. Now it's just like cheap merchandise in a way they've really just watered down everything about them where, you know, when, when, okay, the thing that bothered me, I, I like Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. They base that off of the Ultimates, Ultimate Nick Fury. What they did in the main comics was they basically tried to kill off old man David Hasselhoff, white Nick Fury, and replace him with now black Nick Fury. And now you have to basically forget that the other Nick Fury ever existed. Yeah. And it's like you can have both. I'm not saying you have to do that. But what they basically said was we care more about this new group of people that's coming in that I don't see buying comics at all more than the people that know and love and trust these. Well, so the issue there, and and this actually makes me question whether or not the films really did it or not, because the fact of the matter is, is as those would call it SJW Marvel happened before the films happened. Like that, that was a thing that was coming down because the people that were in into comic books were like your artistic types. The problem is that that's not really the people that buy comics. Um, and so you have people that are trying to make this industry, they're, they're trying to create an industry by making comics for the people they want to be their fans and ignoring the people that actually are their fans. And, and try as you might, SJWs just aren't buying comic books. Like they call, maybe it's because the economy, they're poor people, they live in rooms with seven other people and their cats and stuff. Maybe it's just they just don't like comic books. Who the hell knows? But the point, problem is they're not buying them. Meanwhile, you have all of these middle-aged white men that are do, whether or not they like it, make up the majority of the audience for comic book uh, patrons. And now they're telling them, we don't want you to be our fans. So they're pumping all this ideology in. And, and for a long time, like, the way I understand it is that it was kind of, it was in the comics, but the movies, because they're such big, big productions, they weren't letting it seep in there because they were making the safer bets. You want everyone to go see the film. Yes. Well, and eventually they started that whole process that was turning people off of the comic book comics left and right. Well, that started creeping into the films. And now, I mean, it's just full on the films. We're talking She-Hulk where oh, we're talking God. like we're, t- we're talking a whole like Captain Marvel had been rebooted how many times before they made the films? Like, no one likes Carol Danvers as Captain or Captain Marvel. Miss Marvel, Carol Danvers did pretty good back in like the seventies. Yeah, but- when they when they were trying to make her like a pinup model. I mean, let's let's be straight. Like, men bought that because it was basically, oh, I get to see a hot superpowered chick fight other superpowered people. That's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just kind of sidestepping that though. I mean, I always think that. And I, I do genuinely think this, even though, you know, a lot of the fans criticize the SJW wing of the comic industry that's really, you know, being the masthead for all these new properties now. I ultimately think Marvel, Disney only really cares about one thing. They care more about 
money than they do about this. They will virtue signal a little bit. It's like during uh, you know Gay Pride Month, you have all these companies that do business with like the Saudis, and they're changing their fo- their Facebook profile to virtue signal a little bit. It's like yeah, they're gonna throw that red meat at you, but ultimately what they care about is money. And um, I, I, okay, I have a question. What cartoons does your daughter watch? Star Wars: The Forces of Evil is one we we watch together. Uh, um, yeah, and like Phineas and Ferb, we watch Ducktales, the new Ducktales. So there's that. That's actually pretty good. Yeah, um, I I will say I've seen. I'm that. pretty pretty picky about what she watches cartoon wise. Yeah, and yeah. we just finished like watching Recess from back in the day. You know? uh, back when cartoons were actually decent. Right. But like, what's the big for for a lot of for a lot of cartoons? What is the purpose of cartoons really? Sell merchandise. Sell merchandise. Yeah. Ha- have you seen any of the last couple Spider-Man cartoons or the Avengers cartoons that came out on Disney? Uh, I saw a little bit of the one where like they all have giant heads, and then there's one where they're they're all like all the girls, all the superhero girls. I think it's mostly DC characters. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Marvel and- Uprising, where it's like all female characters. Yeah, and I mean it, it was okay. Like you know, my daughter's like, yeah, they're all girls. That's kind of cool. Okay, let's go watch Barbie now. Like you know, <laughs> like if if you're going for the girly thing and you're a girly girl, you, you might not be as into like the superhero thing. I don't. Yeah, know. I mean, with with a lot of these, and I'll specifically talk about you know the Marvel cartoons because I think in terms of just television as a whole, everyone can universally agree. DC has put out better television over the past two, three decades Um, from Smallville to Batman to justice league to Gotham and arrow and stuff. But like, you know, everyone, everyone knows that the purpose of these cartoons is to sell action figures. But when you look at the cartoons themselves, what was bat? What was Batwoman's purpose? (laughs) Actually, that's pretty good. I will say that's pretty good. Was it? It's Uh, I, I watch it. They're, they're actually doing a pretty decent job with it. Yeah. And you know what the worst part is? I'll never watch it because they told me it's not for me. It's not for you, Nick. They 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 let me know in the advertising that that show is not for me. And I will oblige anyone who tries to tell me that this isn't made for me. And this is why you still haven't seen Black Panther. It is, sadly. <laughs> it is why you, I was told that this is not a movie for white men. And I'm like, okay, well, then I will keep my white man dollars over here and then that'll be that. Yeah, Which sucks because I really like the comic. <laughs> The people who love Black Panther now never knew who Black Panther was before. That's the funniest thing. But like, you know, what what I'm trying to get at is like the cartoons from like a decade ago, like they were really good. They had stories to it. It was universally seen as good content, even if it's marketed towards, you know, younger people. Now, when you look at the cartoons, there's no story. The animation is cheap. It's all just a way to plug in toys that people are apparently still buying and what it did was it basically took a lot of that goodwill earned over the years and it completely trashed it. That was one reason why when um, when Disney bought Marvel, they, you know, they canceled the uh, they canceled this spectacular Spider-Man cartoon because it was a Sony property. Okay. But they could have brought it back like what they did with like Star Wars in a way like Star Wars Clone Wars was originally Cartoon Network and then they had Rebels and then the continuation of Clone Wars. They could have done that. But one reason why they didn't want to bring back Spectacular Spider-Man at that time was because Spectacular Spider-Man wasn't pushing enough Spider-Man toys. Now, Spider-Man's one of the most money-making properties ever. That and Batman, you put either of their faces on it, people will buy it typically. But they're like, that cartoon was not 
generating the cash. So what they did was they had Ultimate Spider-Man. Now it's Marvel Spider-Man. And every every episode is just them throwing in all these random plot devices that make no sense just to sell toys. And what it's done is it's made a horrible cartoon as a result. Mm. And it, you know, they do this. And what they need to understand is that you have a large adult segment of the viewer audience that likes it because they just want to see the characters because they still enjoy it. And they will go out and buy the toys and the merchandise because they want to collect it. Well, and that's the thing that they're forgetting. Modern kids don't play with toys. They play with apps and computer games. So trying to sell toys is kind of, that's a niche market designed at old white men still. (laughs) Well, I mean, you'd almost be better off aiming it at the parents because the parents will then like, oh, well, I bought this for my kid, you know, quote unquote. Um, At least you sell some toys that way. I will still buy action figures and stuff. And when the cashier looks at me awkwardly, if I still go to a cashier and I'll go to the robots, which I trust more, I'll be like, it's for for a birthday party. Right. No, it's for me. It's for me. This um, Batman is for me. <laughs> so, so we opened this whole thing up kind of talking about money and monetary policy. And that's actually something I'm waiting to see how it's actually going to affect this. Because one of the things that I personally suspect that why they've been able to get away with pushing so much agenda. Mm-hmm. Is, first off, if they were smart, they wouldn't fuck with their old characters. They just create new characters and put them in that world. Like that's, that's the, the, the real safe bet. You want to have your SJW characters could create them in that same world. I think they're trying that with like burn new. one bridge to build another. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing that pisses off like the, the old heads is that, well, we love these characters and now you're retconning all of our history. So now why, why should I give a shit about it? But I think a lot of the reason they felt comfortable doing this stuff that they do is because since 2008, like, I mean, getting credit's been super easy to do anything. Like the, the, keeping, the Fed keeping rates crazy low means money's cheap, which means the risk that you have to take on for a lot of this stuff is much different. You, you're you're going to make decisions to push agendas as opposed to go with the reliable way of making money. And I see that being a big issue. Now, I don't know how that's going to work in the climate we find ourselves in where I don't feel like anything is guaranteed to make even a little money right now. So I, I see them taking out a lot of the stuff that three years ago would have been, well, let's push the agenda for, well, we, we can't take that risk. We have to do something we know is going to work. And so I'm, I'm hoping that like the shakeup with, you know, economics in our country is going to be for the better end of all this, but you don't really know. <laughs> I, 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 one thing I miss probably more than anything else in just terms of like my daily normal life is movie theaters, even though I know I'm essentially just paying for something, which is just pure pleasure. When you look at the actual cost of everything, I like movie theaters. I like the movie theater experience. Usually yeah. I go with my friends or my girlfriend or my family. So it's a, it's a shared experience. So I want to go back to movie theaters, but do you, do you know about the whole deal with AMC theaters and universal? Uh, I was hearing a little bit about it because like I had just kind of gotten in back into going to movies at movie theaters because like, you know, the kids old enough to like sit still and pay attention now. So we we started going to like princess movies and stuff. I was going to go see uh, Mulan when it came out. And oh, talk that about timing. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no way in heck I'm going to uh, to pay to stream something. But I, I heard that people apparently did because it created this whole issue with AMC. 
Yeah, so with AMC, um, I didn't know that like Trolls was a Universal Studios property. I always assume everything anime these days is just Disney. But you know, they Trolls was supposed to be like one of the biggest moneymaker films of the year. And a lot of theaters were pumping a lot of advertising. It wasn't and wasn't it? Didn't it make more money than they've ever made in a film ever? Ever in terms of just animated films alone, because a lot of people who weren't going to go see it here, you have this movie that a lot of them were looking forward to. So now what you've done is you've expanded the audience. There's not a lot of new stuff coming out. So streaming directly was the best thing they could do. But AMC was like universal. What the hell? We just spent a lot of our own money promoting your film. So what they did was they said no more universal films. Now, what does that mean? No more Fast and Furious. No more, I mean, just Fast and Furious alone, regardless of what people say about that film franchise, and I'm a person who I pre-order tickets to go see Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> like what they basically just said was, we don't like making money anymore because you slighted us. And I get it. Like were on they, a moral level, I get it. Were they making money though? That's the biggest thing about this. They, they're, they're talking bankruptcy the first day of of the economic problems we were having like so clearly they're not doing that good in the first fucking place how are you going to cut into possible future revenue when you can't even deal with the revenue you have currently i it's like the black knight from monty python it's like you <laughs> have no legs. it's just a flesh wound right no more universal movies and it's like ah you sh- you're not one to be making threats right now because they don't care they obviously just showed that they can make a lot more money without you yeah. Well, that's the thing because now they don't have to split it. Hey, we made the money straight straight to us. Like, so why wouldn't we do this? You know, and it's it's frustrating watching people. Like, it goes to show you. I mean, how interconnected our economies are. Like, people try and pretend that like well, you can affect one thing without affecting another. Um, watching those theaters close down is going to be really really rough to watch. Personally, I'm just hoping uh, drive-ins come back because. I like the idea of a driving better. In the anyways. world of social distancing, I think a lot of people. I found out. I just posted on my Facebook page. I I want driving theaters to come back like a week ago, and apparently, people in the comments were like, "Oh, there's one here and here and here." And they I'm, still yeah. exist. There's I, still a couple that are hanging on. But we have one. I think within like 15 minutes of the house. Honestly, I, and I'm not sure if it's actually open or not. But <laughs> I get the impression though, because I think I've seen people talking about going to the driving. But I would but like. Like I would so, I would so, go to one right now just to right? get out of the house. Yeah. Yep. And but, I mean, I'm not going to pay movie theater prices to stream something on my TV. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. So I would, at least if I could drive in, I'd, I'd at least see the stupid movie. And that is the like thing. That. I it's think like they'd have made shot, even more money. Shot came out three days before um, the, all the lockdowns happened. So my brother and I, we were literally the only people in the theater when they started telling people to start staying home, you know, don't leave and stuff. And we're like, oh, I wonder when the theaters are going to close. We go home. And How was it? It looked really I bad. liked it. I, I liked it, but here's where I, I'm also <laughs> shit on the film. I liked it, but the only way to watch Bloodshot right now is to buy the film. Oh, and I'm man. not buying that movie. If I do buy it, I want a collector's edition. I want all the bonus features, but I'm not buying it just to have the movie alone. I want more because I feel like the film overall gave me less. Well, and and honestly, that's the thing that upsets me the most. Like I, I love DVDs. And the thing I love about DVDs, I love director's commentary. I love actor's commentary. Mm-hmm. And they have the ability to do that shit with streaming right now. And 
how we're how many years into the streaming thing and they still haven't like gotten on the ball and given us all the bonus features. I would buy a lot more movies if they gave me the bonus features, but they don't. Like yeah. it, it's so frustrating. But like Liz said, I think they'd have made even more money if they'd had a price point that wasn't so fucking ridiculous on that on those those movies. Like I think that the initial ones were gonna make money, but I think it's diminishing returns as more people figure out how to navigate this new world. Um, they're going to make other choices because they've discovered other choices. But it is a price point where they they still choose to spend all that money on movies that are you know new releases to stream. Without, you know, like for me, it's like, yeah, some parents are like, oh, yeah, it's 20 bucks. It's still cheaper than taking the family out to movies. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, it's way, way more expensive than, you know, actually renting the movie <laughs> when I've it comes seen, out later. Yeah, like I've seen some pretty terrible movies in theaters, but usually if I want to go see a movie in theaters, I'm not just going to see a 2D one. Like for Avengers Endgame, you better believe I'm going to save a few extra bucks to see that in IMAX. And I want yeah. the free poster that comes with it when you when you leave the theater. I want the poster. You want the experience. Like, that's yeah. it. I want more than just the film because I feel like with the way that all these different entities are competing, I deserve it as a customer. But my two predictions, and this goes for you know everything from comics to the films to the way that we interact with all these mediums, I think two guaranteed things are going to happen. One, a lot of these companies are like, listen, when we put out a product, when we put out a film or a comic or something, we need to know it will make money. I see a lot of the SJW type of stuff coming in. I don't see a lot of that staying by, especially if you can't make a profit off your book, especially if the diminishing number of comic book stores that we talked about when I was on your show. I think a lot of these comic book stores are really going to start thinking, you know what? I'm not ordering that new New Warriors. I'm not ordering that new Captain Marvel because I'm going to lose money off of it. It's not worth it for the two or three customers that might buy that and then all the variants. It's not worth it. Well, like, I, I watched Nerdrotic on YouTube and he, Gary mm-hmm. talks about, he's like, you know, so he, he ran a comic book shop for years. He's like, if I ever run a comic book shop again, I'm not selling new comics. Because mm-hmm. he, He's like, I'll sell toys and stuff like that. But new comics, there's no point in selling them because half the time you order them, they just sit on the shelves. People, you make your money off of the, the old issues, the people that, the stuff that's been tried and tested and works. You know, so I mean, what's what, what the best way to see it? Like, I, I go to conventions, and the one that I always go to every year is Awesome Con, and I think it's just so funny. You look at a lot of the older comics that might not even be in great condition. If you go to the right vendor, they're gonna actually really price gouge you for those comics. But you look at a lot of the new stuff that even came out like within that month, and they're selling it at a loss for like one two bucks. Like the sticker says $5. It came out like a week ago and you're mm-hmm. getting it. Like they're basically losing money. They're just trying to recoup losses from there. One, I mean, that's, it's because, and you can hear it. Like you listen to the creators on, uh, on Twitter and stuff and they point blank tell like, we don't care. Like we're not here to sell comics. That's your job. Figure out how to sell what we make. And it's such a backwards <laughs> way of thinking. No other, is. no other industry works like that. Exactly. And, and part of the, part of the issue is, you know, you've got that big middleman and diamond. That's the only, it's the only publisher. Oh, I was wrong. Three predictions. Diamonds. No, no, <laughs> they're done after this. No more yeah. diamonds, but they're gone. I think diamond will still be around, but like diamond, the one printer that does all the main industry comics. No, I think what DC's doing, going to like smaller individual printers and only having them do certain titles. So that way they're not too invested into one behemoth. I think that's, yeah, that's definitely got killed. 
diamonds. Uh, sure. Diamond, well, a diamond needs to go, and it's needed to go for a long time. And hopefully, this just kind of proved it to everyone. The thing is, is though, ultimately, I don't, I, I don't see a whole lot of reason for some, for creators to go to the main publishers anymore, mm-hmm. because you can just as easily start your own property develop a following like any other content creator and then sell the shit online. You know, yeah, yeah, you have the Ethan Van Skyvers and stuff that have like legacy careers that they can kind of start off on. But eventually once that becomes a viable business model that people trust on like independent creators, you're going to see a hell of a lot more of it. And why do I need to go and water down my vision with a big a big publisher when I can just sell it exactly the way I want it and develop a loyal community that'll support me forever. This is why Image Comics has done so well and why they're becoming more mainstream now. When you look at properties like The Walking Dead and now they're doing a new Spawn film and they're going to do an Invincible series potentially on Amazon. Like Image Comics is creator first, artist first. And you live and die based off that. Image will provide you with the connections to printers, the connections to editors, and the connections mm-hmm. to stores. But you really succeed off of how you interact with your fans. I don't know the politics of really anybody except like Rob Liefeld because he's not actively doing comics anymore. But Liefeld is, um, you know, he, he's not. I wouldn't say he's libertarian, but he's very anti-social justice. I'll put it that way. He's very anti-liberal in a lot of ways. But then again, you know, he never had to appeal to those people because he knew his audience. So he could double down if he wants to. He's not taking down all of Image Comics if he wanted to go back and do that. Well, and some of the stuff that's the most criminal to me is like, look what happened to Doug Tenable, you know, who is a guy who who is, is a very conservative Christian. And... Not, to me, nothing he said was all that bad, but he said something about, you know, I think it was homosexuals and just he doesn't support that lifestyle. Like, it's just not his thing. He said he wasn't going to include them in his work or something like that, which is, it's his choice. <laughs> yeah. The problem is, is that, so we're talking about a beloved creator of Earthworm Jim, like a huge game when I was a kid and no longer allowed to work. Like he, he'd just gotten a big deal and that someone heard that he'd said this once, his entire career was over, blackballed by all the people in that industry. So now the only people that'll touch him are the independent creators like the Ethan Van Skyvers and stuff like that. But the last laughs for him because now he's out selling his, his comics by himself. He, he's online. I get ads in my Facebook all the time, he, you know, for his, uh, what is it that, that he does? It's the finger of Poseidon is the new book, but I think it's, he's like some book about a, uh, a Yeti or <laughs> it's like search for yeah, it's Bill. I think it's, it's, it's something about that. Yeah. But like he can do that. Um, and, and it only shows that like the market is really there. If people know how to use it, uh, Chuck Dixon, I spoke of Chuck Dixon, like a, the year that Clinton cash came out and like after Clinton cash came out, he did the graphic novel version of Peter, P- Peter Schweitzer's book. Um, he got canned. And this is the guy that wrote some of the best Punisher stories. He created mm-hmm. freaking Bane. Mm-hmm. He, he really helped, uh, helped uh, Pamiati and the others make Harley Quinn popular in comics other than the Batman the Ant-Man series. Chuck Dixon, who's a treasure of the comic book industry, now has to do all his stuff almost virtually by himself. Well, so, and here's another thing that like, as we're talking about, so I'm thinking about it. Like we're talking about the comic book industry being in decline and it's not like the money isn't there. 
because you look at what people are paying for these independent comic creators. Like they're not, like, you're not paying cheap, like getting, or you're not paying like comic book prices. You're paying good money for this stuff because man, I was, I, I was on Facebook and uh, Rocky Farenberg has a group called comics for charity. I think I may have sent you guys the invite link to join yep. that group. I bid some, obscene amounts of money on some comics that I'm probably not going to take out of the bag. <laughs> well, yeah, <and laughs> but that, that just my... shows like discretionary spending is there. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's you could, like some of the packages that like the independent creators offer, we're talking hundreds upon hundreds of dollars, but I mean, that's way more than you spend on a new comic, but people are spending it because they, they've developed relationships with these creators. The creators take care of their audiences. They give them what they want. Like, how did people forget that the comic book industry is an industry? It's a business. Same as anything else. You have clients and you give them what they want. And when you stop doing that, they stop paying you. It, yeah. It's so frustrating. Tom King, Tom King, former CIA, uh, you know, he did Batman. Now he's doing uh, Strange Tales. Tom King is a, a pretty left-wing guy. I mean, he's very... Uh, open about that on Twitter. I love Tom King's writing and Tom King respects his readers because Tom King knows if I treat my readers and my fans of it, and it's not even his fans. If I treat Batman's fans like crap, I'm going to lose money. And if you lose money writing Batman, that's your own problem. But Tom King understands that whether or not he even really likes his customers, I could care less, at least at the face value, he doesn't treat them like crap. Well, even worse than that, you're not only losing your money, you're losing the people that sell those comics money. You're, you're losing so many people in that industry money because you have some fucking vanity project that you want to push on the world. How many times do we have to boycott Chick-fil-A for something? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah, if, if you haven't learned, people love Chick-fil-A too much to boycott. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's good chicken. I'm just saying. They, they don't need you. They'll find their audience. They don't need you. You need them. Chick-fil-A has fed my family through this pandemic. <laughs> I don't care who they give their money to. I want the food. But yeah, I mean, like Tom King knows that. And like, you know, you're not losing fans if you do that. You're, you're losing Batman fans. And you have to understand that. And like Chuck Dixon, like he wrote some very impassioned speeches from Batman's view in the, in the Batman comics he wrote because Batman is against guns because he had a childhood trauma. Chuck Dixon's a member of the NRA and owns guns himself and is a conservative, but he understands Batman. Well, and, and we, we think this is where we kind of concluded on the episode we did on our show. It's that, you try and write these things for the perspective of the people, like they'll say the marginalized people. And the worst thing about it is, God damn, the marginalized people get <laughs> shortchanged <laughs> with such awful stories. Like, I feel bad for marginalized people having to read this shit for representation. Like, I, I'm all about representation, but could you, could you maybe write a good story to go with it? Like, diversity is beautiful, but diversity is not an inherent virtue. I mean, even if it is an inherent virtue, don't throw crappy writing at it. <laughs> yeah. Put good writers on the job. But the problem is, is it's never overt enough. Like, I, I, I'll mention it on this show because I don't know who, how your audience is. For me, nothing, nothing, like, I'm, 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 I'm some, like, I'm an old school lefty. So, like, for me, I'm all about diversity. I think it's beautiful and I would prefer more of it to not. It, it really is important to me that my daughter see 
female characters kicking ass. And so I loved when Jessica Jones season one came out because for me, it was a cool character kicking ass and David Tennant's the man. So yeah, I, I saw Wonder Woman in theaters more than I've seen most Marvel films on repeat. Well, the problem is, is so season one of Jessica Jones, I loved. Season two comes out and all of a sudden I'm given a lecture about <laughs> once an episode about how I'm a piece of shit because I have a penis and I'm white. Mostly because I have a penis. And so four episodes in, I'm like, well, I don't need to be lectured to about this. Now, it has nothing to do with her being a female character. It's that I already like the female character. I want the show don't tell. That's the thing they don't get. Show don't tell is like the first rule of all writing. Show me. Just have the female character kick ass. I'm like, yeah, cool. Like when I was a kid, Tank Girl was one of my favorite characters ever because all she did was go out and kick ass and be Get ready awesome. for the woke version. Oh, God. Uh, no one's ready for the work. Version. What Margot Robbie is going to do to Tank Girl terrifies me. I, there, there will never be a Tank Girl other than... Uh, other than uh, Lori Petty. Yeah, Lori Petty is my girl. <laughs> I, I love Margot Robbie too much to not see that film. It could be terrible. I'll still give her my money. I'm, I'm her simp. But, uh... <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you're honestly a bigger comic books guy than I am. Like I like them, and I've always appreciated them, but I've never been like just a diehard, in-the-wool comics person. It's just... I saw I'm, Justice League five times in theaters. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm an appreciator of nerddom. We'll say that. Um, I, I will. I think we can conclude on this. My second, because I brought point one and uh, one and three, but my second prediction: movie theaters drop the pay per film model and they go straight to subscription based services. Oh yeah, that makes sense. They have they, already had them for AMC has. I have like the Cinemark Movie Club where I pay okay. like eight ninety nine a month, and I, um, you know, I get one rollover ticket a month credited, so you know I could see any film. I get like uh, discounts on concessions, merchandise, and then if I buy other tickets, I get a discount on every guest I bring. So I like that, but it's like I, I'm willing to pay twenty bucks a month to go see X number of films, even if they limit it. I I'd, I'd be more willing to do that. I know a lot of people that do use that, like they use the passes. I think probably more than anything, the reason that that hasn't taken off more is because most people don't know it's a thing. Like it's not an option that most people are aware of, unless you're a diehard movie person that goes all the time. Cause like for me, when we had Irma, it was just difficult to go all the time. When you have a little kid, well, we finally reached the point where we started going again. And that option seems a lot more reasonable. It's like, I can take all three of us for like way, way less money. I'm more apt to spend money at the concessions as opposed like, to... But you know, if you're going to go there, you're going to buy a drink and some well, popcorn. yeah, because it's the experience. You want well, the I'm whole going to buy thing. the corn dogs, actually, but... <laughs> the, 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 like, 25-cent corn dogs I pay, like, $8 for, it's... Yeah. It only tastes better in a theater. <laughs> yeah. Only. I wouldn't eat them anywhere else, but I'm in a movie theater, so it's okay. Right. <laughs> ah, perfect well folks i think this has been a great episode we'll have you back on again in the future thank you for everything as always if people want to learn more about everything you do and all you do is awesome how can they do so peacefreaks.com spell it whichever way you want to we'll get you to the same place beautiful nick and liz liz and nick nick and liz it's great talking to both of you have a great monday thank you thanks Renzo.
check out our other shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.